Good morning, everybody. So good to see you today. Uh, Can I lead us in prayer? I just want to take us to the Father, to the throne room, and then get into the Word with you. Lord, I'm excited for what we have in the Word of God today. And I pray that you would, at this moment, in a time of quietness, as we bring ourselves to you, that you would fill us with an eagerness, expectancy, God, to meet us where we are at in the precious Word of God. This isn't just another book that we come to read. This is your Word. It's truth. It's life. It's what we need to hear today. So thank you, Lord, for what you have provided for us. Speak to us, Lord, today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm in Daniel chapter 7, if you would turn in your Bible there. Thank you, Richie. Daniel chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. Would you stand with me as we read? As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. And possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell. The horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth who shall be different from all the, king, all the kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and th- shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away and to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed. But I kept the matter 
in my heart. You can be seated. The world is in turmoil, as you can see in our reading of the text. And as you can see when you look around you, the world is in turmoil. It's not a silent night. The raging sea doesn't have to be, though, external to you, so that if you just wanted to, you could simply avoid it, just go around it, because it can swell up in your own heart as well. The soul of man is in turmoil. And according to the dream vision of chapter 7, this image of ferocious beasts that Daniel has seen has left him in a state of anxiety, a state of panic. You say, why? Did Daniel miss the grand conclusion of history? Did he fail to see the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, the final beast being slain? No, he saw all of that, right? He knew the end because he wrote it all down. He felt the tranquility of heaven as much as he saw the the beastly trouble on earth. Well, maybe it was because he didn't understand what he saw. Maybe that's why he was alarmed. But did you notice the last verse, verse 28? He says, as for me, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. This is after he's given understanding, after the interpretation. You know, sometimes the more you know, the worse you feel. So what was it that Daniel understood, came to understand, that had so disquieted his soul? What reality about the dream gave him such a feeling? Because if you really think about it, his reaction is a bit unsettling. And if we haven't yet identified with him, meaning we are not yet feeling the same thing, you're not as alarmed, you're not as panicked, you're not as anxious about what you've just read, then it's probably because we have not yet dwelled on it. And that is our goal for today. That's our goal for today. Now the big question, okay, that makes apocalyptic reading, this genre of Scripture, complex... And it is complex at times. It tends to be the identification of who, right? And therefore, when these things will happen, right? We want to identify. We want to know who is it talking about, right? And therefore, when have these things happened or when will they happen? But try as you might, okay? And you can dig around these things a lot. You will be hard-pressed to find a clear and a consistent key chart, okay, kind of like if you think of yourself as reading a map and there on the bottom you've got the legend that tells you, oh, this symbol means this, you're going to be hard-pressed to find something that unlocks every symbol. You know why? Because it's just not the point. It's not the point. Think about it. If God wanted this to be exactly known, He could have given us specific names. He knows. He could have given us specific places and times. So it should tell us something then that When Daniel does get an interpretation, hey, here's what these things mean. Even the interpretation is not a carefully laid out schematic. So let's start then with the three basics of what we do have here. Okay, what I want you to do first then is forget the specifics. We're not going to get into that. You're not going to be able to get into that. 
But what I want you to do first is grasp the basics here. And number one, what you see here, what we have in this vision, this dream, is a prophetic statement. Okay, It's prophetic. It's from God. It relates about the future. Okay, Daniel was a recognized prophet. Even among people in his day. Did you know that? Have you ever read this verse? I know we don't read Ezekiel a lot. But look at what God said to Ezekiel. Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly, and I stretch out my hand against it and break its supply of bread and send famine upon it and cut off from it man and beast, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in it, they would deliver but their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. Okay. This was God's word through Ezekiel. Ezekiel lived at the same time as Daniel did, among the exiles in Babylon. He knew Daniel, and here God puts Daniel in the ranks of men like Noah and Job. Okay, prophets, men of God. So Daniel was a prophet, and God communicated to him. But the avenue which God chose, get this, okay, was dreams, visions. Right? The message was within a dream. Just think about that for a minute, right? If you were to write down your dreams, would it not sound something like what we have here? I don't mean the content that we have dreams like he did, but the way that it's written, right? One scene suddenly passing to another, right? Completely different time and place. Things that don't seem explicable. Because in the dream world... The limitations to time and space are not present. You don't have that, right? You can be in one sphere at one place at one moment, and then suddenly, a completely different time and age and environment at, another, at the next moment. Or think about this for a minute. Do you realize that when you talk about your dreams and you want to share it to somebody, you say, you know, I saw in my dream. Oh, wait a minute. You saw in your dream? I thought your eyes were closed. How did you see anything? No, really, think about it. How did you see anything? Well, you have a spirit, right? You have a mind that also sees. Now, what you're reading has characteristics of what typifies dreams, right? And so it resembles to some degree what it would be like if we were to write ours down. That explains the way it, the, why it sounds the way it does. But unlike what normally people... Normal circumstances and things that pop into our minds on any given night. Daniel's dream is of things that he has never seen before. Right? Nothing here relates to any real life experience that he had. This is more than a dream that's forgotten when you sit up in bed. Right? This is a word from God. It's a prophetic dream. And on account of that, Daniel is given an interpreter for what he sees. Because this is a message that's meant to be communicated, to be understood. God has a message to make known. And it's not just for Daniel, but listen now, listen. It's for God's people. Okay, this is when you go, okay, I got it. I'm listening. It's about me. It's for me. The people of God are not simply those of one ethnic origin. Otherwise, you would see in the text, it would say something like, the Jews of the Most High, or Israel. But the repeated phrase that we see here is what? It's the saints, right? Or the saints of the Most High. 
What does that mean? The word saint means holy one. Right? Those who are set apart by their likeness to God. Okay? These are people who belong to God. They're, they're His possession. And saints are not just, okay, saints are not just historically acclaimed figures that we put on pedestals and name churches after. You know what I'm talking about? Those aren't just the saints. The Bible says that all those who call out to God, listen, on the merits of Jesus Christ and Him alone, are declared holy and righteous, and therefore you are a saint. Paul, writing to the believers in Rome, said, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. You're called to be a saint. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So a person is a saint not because of what they do or what they've achieved, but because the God who calls them is also the God who justifies them. Meaning this, Jesus' perfect life is going to be credited to one's account, your account. And not only are you declared holy, a saint, in a legal sense, but from then on, God's Holy Spirit will begin transforming you to look like Him. So holiness is going to be about you. It's going to characterize you. But you are declared a saint when you trust Christ. And from then on, it's becoming what you have been declared to be. Let me give you an example. In a similar way, at a certain point as a church, you called me to be your pastor. You declared me your pastor. But that didn't make me pastoral. Right? That happens in me over time as daily I learn what it means to shepherd. You get it? Okay. So you may not like, you may not look saintly today. No, don't get me wrong, you look good. You may not feel saintly. But every good work has a definitive starting point, doesn't it? And God who brought you to Himself, who called you, will bring you the rest of the way. Because remember what the text says? Those whom He justifies, He will also glorify. Okay. So who are the saints? Well, there are saints who are of Jewish origin, and there are saints who are of non-Jewish origin. Raise your hand. It's most of us. And there are saints before Jesus came, died, and rose again. And there are saints after Jesus came, died, and rose again. Because you are a saint by faith. Always has been. Not ethnicity. Not place in history. Not your own works. You got it? Do you? Okay, good. Because the saints figure prominently in this half of the chapter. Right? They make a first appearance in verse 18. And you know what? We're going to keep bumping into them five or six more times. Say, that's all right. Because I like bumping into saints. You come to this church, you're going to get bumped by the saints before you leave. Okay? Not thumped. Hopefully not stumped. But you're going to get bumped. Okay? You're going to get bumped by the saints. So here we are. We're picking up in verse 15. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. Daniel, why are you alarmed? What has your spirit tied in knots? Right, that's the one question we're aiming on here, right? And if we don't get why Daniel feels the way he does, we have not really grasped the point of what we're reading. You understand? Okay. 
Now remember last week, right? We were back in verse 9. Daniel in his dream is looking upon the throne of God, right? And in verse 11, it's described as the throne as fiery flames. Its wheels are burning fire. A stream of fire comes out from God's throne. Okay. And then look at this. A thousand thousands served him. Is Daniel alone? No. And ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. You know, he probably felt alone at times in the courts of Belshazzar, but before God are ten thousand servants, right? Thousand thousands. That's a poetic way of saying a lot. Well, the vision breaks briefly, right, as the we see the beast being destroyed. And then suddenly we return to the throne room, his eyes look back, as one like a son of man is presented before God, right? Verse 13 and 14. And this son of man is given all dominion, right? Remember we talked about the son of man last week. Who is it? This is Jesus Christ. The second Adam, who has been crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering and his death. So unlike the rising and falling beasts, this one's kingdom is not going to end. And that's how this first segment draws to a close. It ends right there, right? I want you to think of it this way. It's sort of like Daniel has put together a, a dream photo book, right? You have, you have photo books at home, photo albums, right? Well, that's what Daniel's done. He's put these pictures together, written them down for us. And we've very quickly looked at the main snapshots, okay? We've seen the main big pictures in that photo book. The second half of this is when we... You know, when we finish a photo book for the first time, and then we say, you know, I want to go back and I want to look at those pictures again. But I want to do so with a little more care. Right? I, want to, I want to look at it a little more with concentration. Right? The second look is always the more insightful look. right? And this is where we pick up things that you may have missed before. This is what the second half of Daniel chapter 7 is about. And it begins as Daniel and his alarm and his panic feels a great need for clarity. So what does he do? Well, he needs someone to look at the vision with him. So verse 16, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. So presumably, this is one of the angelic hosts. Remember, he's seeing the throne room and there's thousands and thousands there. And this is one of the angelic hosts who's gathered around that throne. Now, based on chapter 9, verse 21, we can actually put a name to this angel. You want to check a look, take a look at that? Just flip over for a minute to chapter 9, verse 21. There, Daniel says, While I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel whom I had seen in the vision at the first. You see, this is the first vision that Daniel's received. Okay. So, this is the one who he saw in chapter 7. Okay. Came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So, we know this angel in chapter 7 is the same one in chapter 9. His name is Gabriel. You know, Gabriel shows up in two places in Scripture, only two. Here, Within these chapters, chapter 7 to 12 of Daniel, and one other really big event. Right? And by the way, that's where we're going to be next week. 
Do you think Gabriel's announcement to Mary in Luke 1 has some connection to his appearance here in Daniel? It's only two times he shows up. Yeah, I think so. Because God's word is being fulfilled. Okay, the word foretold in Daniel. Okay. So here's what Gabriel tells him, right? Verse 17. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. Now, this is interesting. Okay? Rather than giving a longer, more detailed information about the beasts, the angel actually just says, you know what? Well, here's all you really need to know. It's just a quick summation. These are four kings that arise out of the earth. And then he moves so quickly, right? He moves Daniel to this focus. But, yeah, they're big and nasty. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom. Now, just hold up there for a moment, okay? Just hold on to the reins, because you know how our eyes are. We just want to jump on to the next thing, and we haven't really looked at what we're looking at. Have you been told anything about the saints yet? No. In fact, I don't remember hearing about them receiving a kingdom. I only remember one like a son of man receiving a kingdom. So what do we say there? Are they one and the same? Well, no. I mean, look at verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms and of the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. And then it says, His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And all dominions shall serve and obey Him. So there's a them and there's a Him. What do we say then? There must be an incredible relationship between the Son of Man and His people because they are going to share His dominion. And the assurance of that is when He gets coronated, right, as the Son of Man from the Ancient of Days. When that happens, His victory is the victory of the saints. So like the author of Hebrews reminds us, let me pull that up here. Look at this. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. He's right. The world's not yet in subjection to Him. But here's what we do see. But we see Him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Listen. Crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Because we see Him who has been crowned, we know that ultimately victory is coming to us as well. Or have you not read in Romans, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under whose feet? Your feet. Yours. So this is what you need to think about, Daniel. That's what the angel's saying. This is what I want you to focus on. And beloved, this is where you need to focus. We're not hoping that Jesus gets crowned. He has been crowned. He has ascended on high. You realize He sits at the Father's right hand right now. So you're not preaching a hopeful wish. You are preaching a hope made certain. That is why He commissioned His men with these words, right? All authority in heaven and on earth and on earth has been given has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations make my re- my reign a reality to every tribe to every nation to every tongue 
The kingdom of God has arrived through Jesus Christ. He rules. He's been crowned. But all things are not yet under His feet. What is now a spiritual reality, right? You don't see a kingdom here on earth. It's spiritual. But it will one day be consummated, meaning it's going to be fully known here on this earth. The church, you and I, you are like the embassy of our Lord and King. You are an outpost of the kingdom of God, established here to manifest the life of the kingdom. Now, here's a good question. Are we, are we in the last generation of evangelistic push? Is this it? Is the gospel news reaching its desired fullness? We say, I can never really answer that. You're right. And if you can't answer it, then should we not act as though we are? For this reason, Paul was ready to shoot forth the places where Christ had not yet been preached. That all the people of God might be gathered in, right? That all the nations might serve and obey Him. Christ has secured the beachhead. This is why I want to think of it. He's secured the beach into enemy territory. And Satan did everything he could to thwart and to compromise the Son of Man. But Jesus stayed the course. And He fastened our freedom when His body was fastened with nails on a wooden beam. Right? Exalted. Lifted high for all to see. See, see what your king has become for you. But that cross was Satan's crushing blow. Right? The empty tomb sealed Satan's end. So the outpost of the kingdom has been planted. It's in his body called the church. The resurrected king reigns. His name, in his name there is forgiveness of sins. Right? And this gospel must go forth and you must take it. Or help it on its way. You say, till when? Till the fullness of the kingdom is ushered in, right when Jesus sets foot on earth's soil once more. Because on that day, the invisible kingdom will be made visible. But even now, listen, the Bible says, all things are yours in Christ. So what then on that day? Well, you will share even in his dominion, right? So that's the focus of the angelic message to Daniel, to us. Let this great reality overwhelm your vision. But for us, listen, it is actualized because Christ has come. It's even more real for us. But like Daniel, we await yet the fullness of it. And that means the second thing. It means that you're in the throes of the enemy. These beasts, the evil that's going to come out of them, is permitted for a limited reign until that time. You say, well, what does that mean? We'll keep reading. Verse 19. Daniel says, Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron, its claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left. And about the ten horns which were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. 
Now, you may argue, wait a minute now, isn't the fourth beast Rome? Have you ever heard that before? You're right. Yes, it is, but not entirely. Yes, Rome fits both the sequence of first, second, third, fourth kingdom and the characteristics of that beast, but not entirely. Listen, folks, the Roman kingdom did not devour the whole earth, according to verse 23. And it never saw a conglomeration of ten kings, right? Because verse 24 says the ten horns are ten kings. So furthermore, there was not one who rose up and killed three of the ten, because there were never ten. So we would be amiss, we'd be off kilter to nail this into one historic fulfillment. It's too leaky for that. You get it? It doesn't all fit. Listen, the better interpretation is to understand that what Daniel is seeing is the, is the climactic end, okay, the final version of a pattern that shares characteristics of what's to come. Let me give you a little example, okay? See this here? How many hearts do you see? It's not a trick question. One, right? That's what it looks like. Actually, this is the last heart. Okay. This is what Daniel's seeing in the fourth beast. Okay. The fourth beast, that fourth beast, and that horn that has eyes and a mouth that speaks great things is the final Antichrist of the final empire. But before we get to him, right, there's going to be a whole lot more like him. Okay? I look like a magician up here. But you get it. You're just looking at the last one. Rome's just one example. It's just way up here. Because it shares the characteristics of what's to come. Have you not read this in 1 John? Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, that Antichrist is coming, right? Here he's coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. Okay. Therefore, we know it's the last hour. Fourth beast did not end with Rome. It's only typified, right? As an empire that's yet to be seen. And that little horn, it's not been fully revealed yet. But it has been typified by many. Okay, there will be more before the end. So what's their agenda? What are they going to do? Verse 21. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Remember I told you we're going to keep bumping into the saints? Well, right here we find out something else we didn't know before. That the enemy has a burning hatred of God's kingdom and he's going to make war on the saints and he's going to prevail for a time. In fact, verse 25 tells us three things that the Antichrist and those who go before him are going to do, right? Number one, he shall speak words against the Most High. He's going to be blasphemous. He's going to profane God's name. Secondly, he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. This his goal, his plan. And number three, he shall think to change the times and the law, which is to say he's going to have an agenda of deifying himself because only God changes the times and the seasons. 
And this isn't end time only, right? It's going to intensify as the days go, but it's typified now, right? And his war plan is to wear out the saints. Okay, picture your genes for a minute. How is it? How is it that they get holes in them? Isn't it slowly and often imperceptibly, there's a constant friction that begins to thin those threads, right? Little by little. Until one day, just rips open. You see, Satan's not going to come with an all-out attack on you in one sitting. That'd be too obvious. No, he's going to come continuously, eroding ever so slightly the threads of your faith. Right? Little by little, he aims to unravel you. One sin, one doubt, one compromise at a time. Until at last you deny by your mouth or your deeds the Master who bought you. He, of course, wants to make a laughing stock of God. You're of no value to Satan except as a jab against God. Why do you think Satan had his eye on Job? But I got good news for you. Jesus prays for you. The one who's in heaven. And he will fight for you if you call on him. He will help you stand. So you can stand. And you can stand because you have armor called salvation. It's yours when you're saved. But you've got to put it on. You say, well, I'm not going out looking for a fight. It doesn't matter. Did you hear, folks? It's coming to you. And before you share his reign, you will share his suffering. Are you starting to feel a little the trouble kind of soul that Daniel had? Listen, he is anxious on account of what horrid times await the future people of God. Maybe you're not there yet. Is that because you can hardly feel the troubled souls that are closest to you? Do you know what's happening in your spouse's heart? Do you know what's happening in your child's heart? You forget you're at war. And so are they. Because we're too self-focused. Can't see past our little agendas. Let me give you a reminder of the, se- the supreme value of your Christ. Okay. And therefore, those who are your brothers and sisters. Can I read this for you? A couple examples. After Khan completed seminary in 2009, a friend in Myanmar asked him a pointed question. Could you and your wife take care of two boys? The boys, ages five and seven, were children of new believers from separate families who were working in the fields. Their parents feared that since they were now Christians, rebel groups would take the boys for use as child soldiers. Families in areas where rebel groups are active are commonly expected to give up a child, and Christian families are often forced to give up all their children as a penalty for being Christians. While boys are taken for soldiers, girls are married off or trafficked into China. So before he knew it, this man had two boys, and not just two, but later on 15 kids at his door, seeking protection. How about this one? When Ramsey left Islam about eight years ago, 
the persecution he faced in his Middle East country started out small. Muslims would call him names, including infidel, and he received frequent threats. Then as the former Sheik began boldly sharing the gospel and leading Muslims to Christ, he was occasionally attacked and beaten, which he expected as a follower of Jesus. What he didn't expect was seeing his 15-year-old son, Sammy, lying unconscious in an intensive care unit after being violently attacked simply because his father refused to deny Christ. Ramsey knew the attack was in response to his own refusal to renounce his faith when confronted by 60 village elders and sheiks. And others encouraged him to report the incident to authorities and sue the attacker in court. But instead, he made a phone call. The day the guy ran over my son with a motorcycle and put him in the hospital, I called him up. I knew the guy. And I said, I'm forgiving you. Ramsey said the guy was very surprised. He remained silent and didn't say anything. I'm confident that if someday I get to see this guy again, he will come to faith in Christ. Do you forget that the saints are in a real-time war? I know you're aware. I know you're not a stranger to these things. You've heard the news. But then what? Right? Then what? Well, shouldn't we pray? Yeah. Yeah, we should. And shouldn't our knowledge sometimes spill out into some way of reach? Like I said before, you must take the Gospel... Or help it on its way. And since most of us cannot take it to war-torn Christians, right? Well, we can't help it's on its way, right? So I'm thinking, reading these things. And I'm wondering, what if we help get the word to a persecuted area? They're brothers and sisters, right? Voice of the Martyrs puts together kits for outreach to whole villages. They send Bibles and tracts and materials. They even put a projector in there with a DVD player and films. So what if on Christmas Eve, in our service together, we bring an offering for Jesus Christ and made sure that we get at least one of these kits for a whole village? Okay, For one, it's 150 bucks to bless one of these places. I'm confident we could do more than that. Because we ought to be feeling a little more like Daniel did when he realized what the saints are facing. So I'm going to leave this on the back table back there. And you want to read more about it, you can. Does that sound good? Should we do it? Persecution's rising. Okay. But so is the kingdom. Keep looking, all right? Because the patterns of both are everywhere. I'm going, to, I'm going to end with this, okay? I want to read this for you. Because I want you to remind you of the great truth that we just read, okay? Back in 2016, ISIS invaded a town in Iraq called Karakash. That's the best way I could say it. It says this, As ISIS overran the city, they burned and desecrated numerous churches. The militants used the courtyard of one ancient church for target practice, shot a mural of Jesus on another, and spray-painted, now listen, here's what they spray-painted, the ISIS caliphate shall remain forever on a third. 
The caliphate, however, no longer exists. The community has restored the church buildings ISIS vandalized. And on Easter Sunday, 2019, Iraqi Christians gathered in churches across Karakash to worship and celebrate their hope in Christ. How about that for a pattern? It's not going to, yeah, it's going to last forever. No, not those kingdoms. One kingdom will. So our silent night is not over, but it will be soon. Let's pray. Lord, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done in heaven as it is on earth. And Lord, we await the day and we long for it when you will set foot on this earth once again and your kingdom will be established forevermore. God, we need to keep this in our vision and we need to share in the sufferings of one another. So Lord, lead us. Lead us in a great effort to bless others around us. To have the same heart that Daniel did for the saints. Saints that he never even would meet. And yet he was anxious for them. Thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.